Welcome to Season 2 of the Basics of Life Conversations with Rob Salvato. Because I think that the Word of God is comforting and, and, uh, and, and there's a hopefulness to the end times narrative. Today on the Basics of Life Conversations, my guest is Pastor Brett Metter. Brett is the pastor of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in Portland, Oregon. So I invited Brett to join me for a special conversation on the subject of Bible prophecy, its importance, and to talk about what might be the next event on the prophetic horizon. And so now, here is my conversation with Pastor Brett Metter. Well, welcome back to the conversation, Brett. It's a pleasure to be back here with you on the show. Yeah, we had such a great conversation last time. We thought, hey, let's have that guy back. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) we are talking about a subject today that I know is near and dear to your heart, the subject of Bible prophecy. And last year during COVID, you started giving a monthly prophecy update and you've continued that to that to this present day. So I just want to know what was your thought in doing that, and is there really that much to talk about to do a monthly prophecy update? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I I was doing you know a prophecy update every year, you know New Year's Eve, um, right. and um, just thought it was kind of fun approaching each new year with sort of that attitude of expectation and watching and waiting for the Lord, you know, but um, the congregation, I, I think they were frustrated, honestly, because they felt like uh, once a year, there was so much happening in the world that they wanted to know, how does this fit in with the biblical narrative? Uh, and, you know, the world is changing so quickly. I was laughing uh, with the congregation last weekend, how, um, in the last few weeks, the world has changed. All this talk about UFOs and <laughs> right. the, the, the Department of Defense admitting, yeah, we're, we don't know what these things are. And, and so people say, Brett, what, what is that about the Bible? And, and you know, I, I think um, <clears throat> as, as we talk about Israel and everything the Bible says, that you know, the, the pieces that are going to be in place for the last days, um, I think we need to be talking about that, you know, more and more. Uh, you know, the secular world is talking about Jerusalem and Israel every single day on the news. And a lot of that has very much to do with what the Bible says. So to me, I feel like we can miss an opportunity to point people to Jesus just just because the world's talking about things that are end times related. So, you know, that's, that's the key for me is just... Um, you know, keeping people up to speed about what the Bible says about what's going on in these days. And, and it, to me, it's another chance just to point to Jesus. I, I think, you know, like Revelation 19.10 says, you know, the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So really that's my goal is just an extra time chance once a month to point to Jesus, you know? Yeah. Amen. And so much of the Bible is actually made up of Bible prophecy. So it seems kind of normal if we're going through the Bible that we're going to be talking about it. But I think you're absolutely right. There is so many things that are changing in our world via technology and just things that are happening that people are looking for answers and they're looking for direction. And we see that the Bible does have a lot to say about what's going on. So I applaud you in, uh, 
doing that. I've been talking more about Bible prophecy myself, not monthly, but definitely a lot more than just once a year um, that we would do like you on a New Year's update type of thing. Now, let me ask you this. There are those who think that some churches get too sidetracked on this whole Bible prophecy aspect of things and um, you know, what's coming versus what's happening now is kind of their, you know, they, they, they want to focus more on, you know, what's happening right now and meeting the needs in our community. How would you respond to, you know, somebody that would have that argument? You know, I think I have to admit that there, there are some who have perhaps, you know, taken the focus of Bible prophecy to an extreme Okay. And it oftentimes has to do with what their outcome or their what their purpose for Bible prophecy is. If it's to uh, freak people out or to, you know, um, make people store up guns and Cheerios and get a bunker. And like, like there's been some crazy stuff out there that makes the, I think, Bible prophecy buffs look sort of extreme. But, but my argument on that is, you know, you can find that with everything church related. You know, I, I think there's churches that they focus all about the Holy Spirit and uh, the Holy Spirit's amazing and important. But remember what Jesus said, you know, the Holy Spirit, he will speak of me. He will point to me, you know, there in John 14, John 16. Um, I think churches can do that with things that are good, like worship, you know, even worship music. Uh, people go to extreme. I, I hear all the time people choose what church they go to largely on what the worship team sounds like. <laughs> and I and I think, man, the Bible doesn't really talk about that. Right. <laughs> like the worship team. There's no wor- worship director uh, in the New Testament. Um, Jesus sang a song. Uh, like, like it's really hard to find things about worship music in the New Testament church. Um, I'm not saying it's not important, but to be good Bible uh, students and pastors, I think we have to be really good at counting and count how many times does the Bible talk about stuff? What does the Bible emphasize just as you read through it? And, um, and then to try to find that perfect balance. So, you know, the, the two notions of teaching Bible prophecy and meeting the needs in our community, you know, to, they're not mutually exclusive. I, in fact, you know, I think a healthy church is probably going to be engaging in both of those at the same time. Um, and I think that's probably a sign of a healthy church. That's good. I like that. And, and, and I think, you know, definitely we should be involved in, in reaching the needs of our community. But at the same time, you know, the Bible says that we're to teach as pastors, we're to teach and to warn. And, you know, sometimes part of Bible prophecy is it's a warning that, hey, this is coming. And, you know, the Bible's constantly telling us to be alert and to be watchful and to be mindful of the times that we're living in. And I think sometimes the, yeah. be, the best way that we can reach the needs in our community is by being mindful of that. Now, you know, Brett, your former pastor and my mentor used to say that the problem with many who got saved in the Jesus People movement is that they were more excited about the coming of the Lord than the Lord who was coming. And and, and we know that, you know, there's a lot there was a lot of talk in the Jesus People movement about Bible prophecy and the coming of the Lord. And a lot of people got saved, you know, based on that premise. But when Jesus didn't come back, when the rapture didn't happen, a lot of them um, fell away from the Lord. And so 
how what, what's your response to that quote of, of John? Do you do you sense and feel like that is still happening today? I, I think, you know, I did live as a younger man during those times and I saw people, you know, charging up their credit cards and uh, there, there's, it's almost like a joke now because it was so misguided back then, you know, what some people were doing, but there was an excitement. And by the way, I was, I was recently studying um, some of the um, great revivals in the last, you know, century. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the common uh, themes of all the revivals that you can read about there was a, a sense of the, the second coming of Christ, the rapture of the church. That's almost always a, a feature of the revival. So it does stir people up to look for, look to Jesus. Um, but I think I, I kind of liken it to what Paul was dealing with. You remember in um, uh, Colossians chapter two, when Paul was dealing with the, the meat that you eat and the drink that you have and the holy days, the new moons, the Sabbath days, um, you know, people were kind of hung up on those issues about keeping the Sabbath and when you do the Sabbath and all that. But I love what he said. He said, um, those things are all great, but they're just a shadow. I think it was in uh, Colossians 2.17. He says they were just a shadow of things to come. But he said, but the body is of Christ. So, you know, Paul's saying it's not about the shadow. It's about it's about Christ himself. And I think we can we can, as a church, make that mistake of being more excited about the shadow than we are about Christ. I think it's the same thing with the, the, idea, the idea of the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. More about, excited about that, the, the concept of that than just loving Christ, walking with Christ. It's a little bit, you know, like I've heard this example of like, if I come home from work and my wife runs out to greet me and she kisses my shadow on the ground and, and welcomes my shadow, I'd be like, honey, I'm right here. Like, yeah. like focus, focus on me, you know? And, and, uh, and that's, I think sometimes even prophecy buffs can get a little bit sidetracked and miss the whole point. It is still, you know, all about Jesus. You know, I, I remember John teaching us years ago when we were younger pastors, you know, keep the main thing, the main thing, the main thing is Jesus. It's not just knowing about Jesus or knowing even, you know, the things about Bible prophecy. It's knowing Jesus personally. Amen. Amen to that. I was thinking that very same uh, quote when you when you said that keep the main thing the main thing now not yeah. to divert from that but I'm going to ask you this question because um, we are talking today about about, about Bible prophecy um, <laughs> are we living in the last days why or why not well you know it's funny I I, I think a few years ago I might have said of course we are for sure um, but. You know, we're currently uh, going through the Old Testament verse by verse uh, through the Bible, and we're in Ezekiel, which is really fun. Um, but I, I've, I've actually learned to answer that question maybe with a little more care. Um, so the answer in a quick nutshell is yes, I believe we really are living in the last days. In the New Testament, um, the church age, maybe if you want to call it that for um, Bible prophecy terms, um, when the Bible refers to the church age, uh, the last days, or the last times, or, or the last time, uh, then I think it is the whole the, the whole church age is called the last days. That's kind of interesting. From the time where Jesus ascended until the present day, the, the New Testament kind of calls that whole period the last times or the end days. So yes, on that for sure. But but what's interesting when you read the Old Testament and you talk about Israel. 
Uh, there's terms that are similar, the latter days, uh, the latter years, and the end of time, the end of the, end of the age. Those refer to Israel in her time, specifically of the tribulation period. Um, and this is, you know, in my opinion, this is a future time. Now, we could, you know, really be on the cusp of entering into that time. The rapture of the church could happen at any moment, and, and we could go right into that tribulation period. I think we're right on the cusp of that. But um, that terminology, I think, is important. There's been some confusion in the various views of how things shake out. So, yes, we're living in the last days, and we're in the church age, and we're seeing signs of the times uh, that the, the tribulation period could be around the corner. But, but officially, the last days in the Old Testament, from the Hebrew perspective, would be the tribulation period. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, totally, totally. And, and I would say, you know, we could say that we're living sort of in the, you know, time leading up to, you know, the last yeah. of the last days for sure. Now, you mentioned the rapture. Let's talk about that for a minute. Um, I know many believe that that is probably the next event on the prophetic calendar. Um, what is the rapture? For those who maybe are unfamiliar with that term, let's talk about that first. What is it? Where do we see that sure. in Scripture? Well, you know, it, it's mentioned several times in Scripture, but probably most specifically, in my opinion, is the First Thessalonians, you know, chapter 4, where um, Paul talks about, you know, those of us that are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord, you know, and, and the, the, um, the big controversy that people bump into about the rapture is uh, some people say, well, the word rapture is not even in the Bible. Right. <laughs> um, but, um, but to me, that's not a real fair uh, accusation in the sense that the word, you know, Trinity is also not in the Bible or missionary is not in the Bible. But it has to do with the word, you know, caught up. And, and it's really simple. You know, there in First Thessalonians 4, when it says caught up, the, the word is harpazo in the Greek, which means to be caught up in the air. Uh, the word rapture came from the Latin Vulgate translation of the New Testament from the Greek. Um, so that's where it came, and, and, it, and that word sort of stuck. Um, but the rapture of the church is, is when the Lord calls up his church, um, and, and it's you know my opinion that it's going to happen before the tribulation period, and there's a reason for that. But the rapture is where we meet the Lord. It's not the, the rapture is not the second coming. People confuse that. You know, there's coming a time where Christ, returns to the earth and will rule and reign. That's not the rapture. The rapture is when we go up to meet him in the air and he takes us and, and we'll be with the Lord from that point on, the church of Jesus Christ. Anyone who's not part of the church of Jesus Christ will not be part of the rapture. <clears throat> so um, so the rapture is that time where we, those of us that are alive, it's a little bit like Enoch, you know, yeah. there of the Old Testament before the big flood came, the Lord took Enoch up. He says he was sort of, he was, and then he was not, <laughs> and the Lord took him. Um, I believe that's very much like what's going to happen uh, in the rapture of the church. Yeah, and I like to make the distinction that the rapture is when Jesus comes not to the earth, but the Bible says to the clouds. There's yes. a trumpet that blasts, and the believers are caught up to meet him in the air. He takes us th there to heaven. The second coming is when he actually comes to this earth, and we actually come with him. Now, you mentioned that you believe that the rapture is going to take place before the tribulation period. Why do you feel that way? Oh, that's a, that's a loaded question because I, <laughs> you know, um, it's funny because I have good friends who have different views on this, you know, and um, mm -hmm. um, amillennial, pre-trib, uh, pre mid-trib, there's all kinds of views, but 
Um, and, and when I was younger, I was, I was a little careful to kind of explain a lot of the different views, but the, the more I study the Bible, the more convinced, and I even told the church recently, I said, you guys, why don't I try to explain all the views? Because I just don't really agree with them. I, I really firmly believe the more I read the Bible, I believe the rapture is going to happen before its pre-trib, you know, view as it's called. Um, there's, there's a ton of reasons, um, why I believe that is. I, I maybe some of my favorites include, um, the, just the nature of the Lord. Um, you know, remember in the Old Testament, there's all these stories where you kind of, the Lord clarifies, I will never destroy the righteous with the wicked. And, you know, First Thessalonians 5, right after talking about the rapture in First Thessalonians 4, um, he says that we get to comfort one another with these words. And the, the what words? That First Thessalonians 5, 9 says that we are not appointed unto wrath. Right. Um, that's what the time of the rapture will get us away from, is, is the tribulation period is called the time of the wrath of the Lamb. Revelation 6, verses 15 through 17 declares it to be that. And it says that we, the church, are not appointed unto wrath. And, and and why is that? It's because Jesus took the wrath that was meant for me and for Christians and for the church. He took that. The whole point is that we would not have the wrath of God on us. And uh, the tribulation period is the wrath of God, both on a Christ-rejecting sinful world, and also, uh, uh, I was just teaching Ezekiel 20 on Sunday, to the church and that uh, we were seeing how the Lord gathers the Jews for the purpose of the tribulation period to be a, a rod of correction, a part of the wrath mm. uh, of the tribulation so that the Jews will wake up and see that Jesus really is the Messiah. But it's going to be brutal. Like tribulation periods for the, to wake up the nation of Jews, to pour out his wrath upon a God, Christ projecting sinful world. Um, and we're not really going to be a part of that, you know, so we're not appointed to wrath. That's comforting. I think also for me, um, you know, the fact that uh, the church is not seen in the tribulation. If you read Revelation 6 through 19, you don't see the church mentioned there. Um, uh, you know, you see the elect as far as the Jews. You see the tribulation saints. That, are, that would be the people that would accept Christ during the tribulation. But you don't, you don't ever hear a reference to the church there in the tribulation. And, and then, you know, on and on they go. Like the Old Testament pictures, you know, the, the Lord never destroys the righteous. You look at it, he pulls a lot out of Sodom before he pours down fire and brimstone. Noah, you know, was righteous in all his generations, and God saved him. Uh, but to me, Enoch is a type of that not having to go through the flood. Um, and, man, there's just so many reasons. But I think that's probably my favorite one, just when you know the nature of the Lord and our relationship with the Lord. Um, he calls the church his bride. And what kind of a bridegroom pours out wrath on his bride? Uh, we would call that abuse. <laughs> and uh, I just think the Lord says, nope, I'm going to take my bride up and out, and I'm going to make this for uh, um, the, the Christ-rejecting sinful world. I've got probably 20 others I could talk about reasons why, but those are <laughs> yeah. my favorite. Yeah, I know. Uh, we, we've both done whole studies um, on why the rapture will be will happen before the tribulation. Uh, I love the fact that you brought up Rome, Revelation chapter 6 because in that passage it says there, and it's very early in the book of Revelation, that the people are hiding. They're actually asking for the mountains, the rocks, to yeah. fall on them and hide them from the wrath of 
of the lamb. That's how severe it's going to be. The Bible says that unless those days were shortened, no flesh would survive. And so the tribulation is going to be gnarly. I mean, it's going to be a time of God pouring out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world like this world has never seen before. And what Paul said there in 1 Thessalonians 5 is exactly true, is the sense of you know, we are not appointed unto wrath. And, you know, I've had some people, and I feel like they look at this only from a Western standpoint, like they think it's unfair in the sense they say, man, the church has suffered and suffered such persecution and and that type of thing, you know, for so many years. Why do we think that we're going to escape that? And I say, well, first of all, you're looking at this only from a Western standpoint, because there are a lot of places in the world right now where people, Christians are being martyred for their faith, even to this day. But the difference that I think is really important distinction to make is the persecution is not just difficulty. It's not just, it's not persecution. It's not heavy trials. It's literally a time where God is pouring out his wrath upon the world. And He's not doing that right now. Um, He's waiting, but there is going to come a day when he's going to pour out his wrath. And we've been in first Peter the last couple of weeks. And in chapter four, verse seven, Peter makes this statement, the end of all things is at hand. And, you know, I find it so interesting, Brett, the fact that, you know, 2000 years ago in the first century church, the Holy spirit is inspiring the apostles to write, then about the soon return of Christ and about the coming of the Lord, knowing though full well that, you know, over 1900 years would pass and Jesus still hasn't come yet. And, and I, I posed this question to our church. I said, you know, some people would, would almost seem like the, the Holy spirit inspiring the writers was being like the little boy that cried wolf. But we know that that's not the case that in reality, he wants his church in every generation to be living like Jesus could come back today because he knows, I think, that we are the most focused, the most impactful um, when we are living with that type of mindset. Yeah, you know, the, the doctrine of eminence is so important because um, that's part of the, the point is how we're supposed to live with that expectation. And, and really the pre-trib view is, the only view, in my opinion, that allows for that that variable of not really knowing the day or the hour. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you break it all down, that's that's the only one that works that way, you know? Yeah, that's exactly. That's a great point because if it's mid or end, you can literally, there's pinpoints that you can start counting from that's right. that you would know, okay, this is going to be the day. This is when it's yep. going to happen. But you're right, the pre-trib uh, view is the only one that uh, doesn't have that. And that is our hope. That is something like Paul says that we can comfort one another in is that, Hey, we're going to escape that. Now you mentioned you're in the book of Ezekiel right now with your church and Ezekiel chapter 38 is a pretty powerful passage and prophecy. Um, Explain for our listeners what that prophecy is about. Well, you bet. Yeah. the, The first, let me note that, you know, the predictions found in Ezekiel 36, and 37, they've already come to pass largely. And, and that's one thing that I love about the book of Ezekiel. You know, it, it, many of the prophecies we read about there 
are coming to pass in our day, like right right before our eyes, which makes Ezekiel really exciting. The book of Revelation largely is future events. Um, the, you know, the book of Daniel largely prophecies about the first coming and the tribulation, but but not not a ton for the Gentile church. But we are living in these days where we're, we, we've seen, there's people alive today that saw May 14, 1948, when Israel became a nation again. And that's that's a radical fulfillment of Ezekiel thirty six and thirty seven. So so all that said, those two chapters fulfilled. When you get into chapter thirty eight, you have kind of this new um, thing that happens. Uh, but it's going to be in those times where we've seen Ezekiel thirty six thirty seven, which includes the rebirth of the state of Israel, the return of the Jews, you know, to the Holy Land, and um, you know, the blossoming of the desert. Boy, uh, there's so much there in, in Ezekiel 36 um, and 37. But I believe that Ezekiel 38 could be right at, at the cusp also of happening. It's, um, you know, what the prophecy is basically about is there's a confederation of nations that gather against Israel. And, and the Bible talks about, you know, these ancient names um, of, of what are also modern day countries today that are going to, join together and attack Israel. And, um, and it includes, you know, Turkey, Russia, Iran, and several other nations, which is really amazing because when you look at Turkey, Russia, and Iran, they're right now, as we speak on the northern border of Israel, right there, uh, because of the Syrian civil war, right. all these nations and the puzzle pieces of Ezekiel 38, uh, Gog Magog invasion, it's also called, um, which are ancient names, uh, but that's, that's I believe we're at the very cusp of that happening, and it's um, they're coming down. The Bible says to take a spoil out of Israel, and um, and they're going to be kind of hooked by being dragged down in there, um, and it's going to be a horrible situation. But I believe it's also going to be part of that um, precursor to the you know what's going to happen uh, during and at the end of the the tribulation period. So it's it's a battle that's going to happen, confederation of nations. And no one is going to come to Israel's aid, uh, not even the United States, uh, during the Gog-Magog invasion that, that Ezekiel talks about. So let's talk about that for a minute, because um, you're right. Here we have in Ezekiel 38 this picture of this confederacy <clears throat> or contingency of nations and kind of leading the charges, Russia and Iran. And, you know, we, we see the hostility right now that Iran has towards Israel and do you think, I want to get your opinion on this, and then I'll share mine with you, but do you think that Ezekiel 38 could actually happen before the rapture takes place? Man, that's a great question. I, I believe it's possible that it could happen before, um, but, but I do feel strongly that Ezekiel gives us kind of some important clues about the timing of this whole thing. You know, first, the, you know, Ezekiel tells us that the Israelis will be living securely. Um, before the war of Gog Magog, you know, um, um, it doesn't say they'll have comprehensive, you know, perfect peace treaties with everyone, but they will be lar- largely living securely. The second component is that Israel, you know, have a, a economic prosperity, and third that they're going to be, um, um, you know, the the last days events that are right, you know, like remember when I was talking about the last days as far as the Israeli perspective. Um, Ezekiel 38, 16 says that all these events will come about in the last days. So 
that's before the Battle of Armageddon. We know that. Right. But here's where here's where I start to think that it, it might just be um, the timing. The best thing is Ezekiel thirty nine twenty one talks about how the battle is used by God <clears throat> to bring Israel back to Him. Hmm. <clears throat> now we know from other scriptures that this is also the main point of the tribulation period is to bring Israel back to a, a right relationship with God. So I see the rapture of the church and the God-Magog invasion at least being very close to the same time. Uh, like, it could be right before the rapture, it could be immediately following the rapture, but it has to be somewhere in there close because of the whole point of the battle and the whole point of the tribulation period is, is they're the same objective according to the Bible. Um, so if, I, if you had to pin me down today and I had to say <laughs> one way or another, I'd probably say right after the rapture. Yeah, but at the same time, um, I, I wouldn't die on that battlefield. Uh, I, it could happen right before the rapture too. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I believe that it, it's going to happen very uh, close after the rapture, but I, I could see it happening before. For this reason, is you know we read in after the rapture, and I think sometimes we get mixed up in this, that we think that this is going to happen immediately after the rapture, when in reality, it's probably going to take a little bit of time. But the world is going to be, you know, with, let, let's say, a billion people suddenly missing from planet Earth, um, you know, when the Christians are gone, that the world's going to be in mass chaos. And yep. it is going to take, you know, a lot of people or a lot of leadership to kind of pull that together. Now, we, we've just recently seen how the world kind of pulled together over this whole uh, COVID uh, coronavirus pandemic. And, you know, we experienced something we've never experienced in our day and age and our lifetime. And that's the whole world basically being shut down at one time. And uh, that's been pretty, you know, crazy. And I think also kind of a sign of, you know, the times because the Bible says, you know, during the last days and after the rapture, there's going to be this revival. There's going to be a, a, a one world government that emerges and a one world leader that comes on the scene and the world is going to like all pull together. And, and he's also going to form a one world religion. And this is why I think that Ezekiel 38 has to happen either before or closely after the rapture is because there are two groups right now on the planet that I think basically would not adhere to a one world religion. One are Christians and the other yep. is Islam. And yep. because so much of that contingency that's going to come against Israel during that time in the in Ezekiel chapter thirty eight, and I just want to make this this real clear too, because people get this mixed up. The battle of Ezekiel chapter thirty eight is not the battle of Armageddon. The battle right. of Armageddon is when people, when the Antichrist, who we'll talk about in a minute, the Antichrist is is bringing all the forces of the world in a battle against God, against Jesus, yep. and Ezekiel thirty eight is this contingency of nations that is going to come against Israel. And Israel is going to be standing alone. But one of the reasons I, I think is that that this could happen, will happen shortly after the rapture or even could happen before is because I think it has to happen before the Antichrist 
is able to set up this one world government and this one world religion because I, that battle, when God destroys those nations coming against Israel, I think it's going to render a death blow to Islam. That there are going to be many, many followers of Islam, many Muslims all over the world that suddenly are going to wake up and be like, what just happened? You know? And, yeah. um, and so that's, you know, my own personal thoughts on that. But I think it's also interesting. And I think this is one of the reasons why, um, although <laughs> this could change rapidly with our current administration, but why <laughs> Israel will be standing alone during that battle. And, and even the United States won't be um, backing them is because I think the rapture is going to cripple our country and, you know, yeah. we're going to be unable to offer any help to anybody because we're going to be in such a place here in the United States for those who are left behind of trying to put things together because, you know, except for probably China, there are more Christians in the United States than probably any other place in the world. And um, so when, you know, millions upon millions of, you know, hundreds of millions of Christians are suddenly gone, um, it's going to impact our country um, incredibly. I agree. You know, it's, it's uh, interesting. I mean, I think that's a very possible, uh, you know, issue of the rapture taking the United States out. But at the same time, you mentioned the administration currently, you know, um, we just the last few weeks, we've seen 4,000 rockets come from Hamas in the Gaza. And, you know, our current administration basically says, no, you need a measured response to Israel. Like, what would we do as, as the United States if 4,000 rockets came to, to Washington, D.C.? You know, we would do this measured, you know, challenge to, to respond carefully. The, the point that I make is that um, I can see a scenario where the United States just kind of stands by and sort of protests, which is interesting because, um, there in Ezekiel 38 says that, that nobody's going to help Israel, but they're going to. There's going to be a few nations standing by the side, saying, you know, you guys shouldn't be doing this, you know, or <laughs> you know, there's a protesting that's going on. But that's all. That seems like that's all we're really good for is this, uh, in some ways, uh, just the protest by the side in in the last days. So it could. I can see a scenario where it is the rapture that takes the legs out of the United States to to stand by Israel. But, but I can also see a scenario where we just kind of lose our um, ability to really do anything about what happens in the world. Uh, if we continue down the current path that we're going, I can see both scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. And I think prior to, you know, this past four years with President Trump, you know, we saw an administration that was growing more and more where it was showing less and less, I'll put it that way, less and less support for Israel. And yeah. our current administration will probably be following in that same vein. Um, I, I, it's kind of the way I see it going. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you this. During the tribulation, we just mentioned this, a one world government is said to, is going to emerge that will be a revival of the old Roman Empire. And out of that is going to come this leader, the Antichrist. And, you know, do you think that government system will have any connection to Islam? Because I think in, you know, recent years, because of the growth of Islam, there has been this 
kind of idea that you know some people, Joe Rosenberg, some others have written, and they've they've kind of connected this you know Islamic connection to that and. You know, I kind of have a hard time seeing that personally, but I just kind of wanted to know, you know, your thoughts on that. Do you think though there will be any Islamic connection in that at all? Yeah, good question. I I um I just know this for sure. Uh, the Daniel chapter two prophecy of Nebuchadnezzar's statue. Remember the mm-hmm. <clears throat> the whole empires that would come. Uh, it would be, you know, Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, and the Greeks, but then the Roman Empire. Um, and that would be the two legs, the legs of iron. And then that imagery goes to the two feet, and the feet were part iron and part clay. Um, and, you know, the interesting image, each metal, starting with gold, silver, brass, iron, and then iron and clay mix, each one of those metals get weaker and weirder <laughs> as the time goes on. And and the thing that I think is interesting is um, when you look at the ancient Roman Empire, um, they were huge. If you look at old, like at a map, if you Google a map of the old Roman Empire, it includes, you know, Europe, but mm-hmm. also goes around the Middle East and up to Northern Africa. Like, it was a huge empire. Right. And, um, and it makes me wonder, what is this mixture of iron and clay and then the ten toes that come, or the ten t- nations that come out of that, if you recall. And then there's the the, the coming world leader who would be coming out of those 10 toes. And, you know, the thing that I wonder is maybe uh, each government gets weaker and weaker, maybe the weakness of the, the, the time of those 10 toes, which, which Daniel concludes that whole thing. It says in the time of those 10 nations, the 10 toes, that's when this kingdom that is cut without hands, the rock of Christ will roll down and crush the kingdoms of the world. So we know that this 10 nation confederation of some kind, in the last days is part iron, part clay, these toes that are sort of mixed with something that's not very strong. I almost wonder if it's a combination. I, and I, I'm not heard anybody really talk about that. Um, I, and I can see why 10 years ago people were saying it's the Muslims and there's an Islamic antichrist. Even the eschatology of Islam, if they're, you know, uh, watching for the Mahdi and the, they've got kind of a, a, uh, an opposite version of end times that the Muslims do than, than the Christian church. And so you can kind of see the tie-ins there, but I'm, I'm with you on the sense that I think when the Ezekiel 38 thing happens, what will happen to Islam and will Islam really be that as powerful when all this stuff comes down? And I think the, I agree with you. I think the answer is no, but that might, might be part of this old Roman empire. Why mm. it's going to be so weak and why this coming world leader will wipe some of those out. Remember, he takes some of the horns right. and crushes them. And uh, I, I wonder if that could be part of the Islamic uh, question uh, in the end time scenario. But we do know there's kind of a weakness to these nations that are confederated and that are going to be against the Lord and against the Jewish people in Israel. Um, so I, I think that if you had to pin me down, I think that the, the coming world leader is probably going to be out of Europe, maybe. Uh, but, but who knows? Uh, that's something that I don't uh, really even know who that is, or I'm not even really trying to figure that out as much. Right, right. And that's the, the, the big question is, as believers today, should we be worried about or even looking for the Antichrist? Man, that's, that's a great question. I think, it, you know, one thing I've used as a measuring tool for my prophecy updates, if I'm causing people to be worried or anxious about anything, I'm probably doing something wrong, <laughs> you know? 
because I think that the Word of God is comforting and and, uh, and and there's a hopefulness in the end times narrative. Um, and so we need to be pointing to Jesus. So, yeah, you know, Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious or worried about anything, including, you know, the, the coming Antichrist. So I, I think that the Church does worry about that. The people that are a little maybe hyper on prophecy stuff, they get a little freaked out about the Antichrist. But the second reason I don't think we have to worry as much about it, or even spend a lot of time trying to figure out who it is or any of that, because, um, the, you know, Second Thessalonians 2, 8 says that that Antichrist won't even be revealed until after the, you know, the church led by the Holy Spirit is going to be taken up out of the way. Then that man of sin, the son of perdition, will be revealed. So I, I think that sometimes I've heard prophecy teachers spend a lot of time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is going to be. And uh, I, I, I remember Ronald Reagan was supposed to be the Antichrist and the Pope. And, Kissinger. You know, there's been a Henry lot of Kissinger. Wrong yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of wrong guesses. And I, you know, I think there's going to be some apologies in heaven. I thought you were the Antichrist, but I guess you weren't. So uh, I think we should be careful to point to Jesus Christ and not really really wor- worry as much about the Antichrist. I think it's okay for us to tell people, here's what here's what he's going to do, here's what the yeah. Bible says about him. But um, but it's the same thing with Satan himself. I don't want my whole mention or my whole narrative to be about Satan. I want to focus on Jesus and handle the truth. Uh, then you'll know the lie when you see it. Yeah, amen. You know, I think that the enemy is so good and I think he's working overtime right now to do this, but he's so good at trying to get Christians distracted on, you know, minor issues. And I think, you know, like we mentioned before, we so desperately need to just keep our eyes on Jesus and keep looking, um, you know, to him that, that he's the one that, that we're to be looking for and waiting for and anticipating, not yeah. not the Antichrist. Like you said, we're, we're not going to be here. And I love Hebrews 3.1. Um, I think it's an awesome passage where it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. And, and I like to say, I think that verse really gives us an indication of how we're to, to be, who we are, first of all, and how we're to be living. Who we are, yeah. is it tells us that we are holy brothers and sisters. We're holy because that's what Jesus has done for us. He has made sinners holy. When we put our faith and trust in him, he takes all of our sin. He gives us his righteousness. So that's yeah. our position. We are holy brethren, holy brothers and sisters. And then he talks about our destiny, that we are partakers of a heavenly calling, that that's our, our destiny, that we our, there's a, a heaven, I like to look at it in two ways. One, it's our destiny, and, and two, it's, I like to think of it this way, a heavenly calling is like heaven's calling us, you know? It's like it's wanting us to, you know, live our lives, like like Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, that we're to, you know, live focused on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so it tells yeah. us who we are, it tells us what our destiny is, and then it tells us, I think, what we're to be doing in the meantime. And that's when he says, consider Jesus. Keep our eyes yeah. and our focus on who he is. Brad, if we could, yeah, if you, if you could sum up in a few sentences, how believers should be focused in living today in light of the times that we're living, aside from what I just said, what would you say? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I love that scripture in Hebrews, and and really, all the people that touch Bible prophecy in the authorship of the Bible, you know, inspired by the Holy Spirit, they all said the same thing. Yeah. You know, remember when Peter talked about how the world's going to be destroyed, you know, the, the, the people mocking in the last days? He ends his whole thing saying you ought to live holy and godly lives. Like, you know, that, that was his mm. admonition. He ends, what is it, um, you know, Second Peter chapter 3, the very end, he says, um, be on your guard that you don't be carried away by lawless men, but grow, you know, in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. So I think in a summary, and to me, it, it's really, you know, that holy aspect. This is not a day to be partying down and playing around with sin and just, just being cavalier. But, but man, just a hunger and thirst after righteousness and follow Jesus and grow in grace. Um, one final part of that, too, though, Jesus told us what to do with it these days. He said, watch, watch and, mm-hmm. and wait and be ready. Remember the wicked servant that says, oh, the Lord delays is coming, Matthew 24, you know. Um, but the faithful servant is busy going about the business of the kingdom, serving the Lord, looking for and readying for, you know, his return. So, I think we've got our marching orders, you know, in these days we're living um, to to watch and and wait and be um, studying the scriptures to know what these days are all about. Amen. I love this passage in Titus chapter two, verse eleven, where it says, "For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, mm-hmm. teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust." We should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that we might, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. But I love that, that passage, you know, God's grace has appeared to all men and it teaches us something and it teaches us that we should be living, you know, seeking to live in godliness and, and not worldly lessons soberly as we are looking, anticipating the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brett, thanks so much for being on the program today and i just love talking with you and uh love talking about bible prophecy with you anytime man it's uh, truly a pleasure for me as well and keep up the good work we love what you're doing i appreciate that now where can people find these monthly prophecy updates that you're doing probably the easiest way is just youtube and then look up ac creek uh a-t-h-e-y creek uh, and you'll, it'll take you to our, you know, our uh, YouTube channel. And I'm um, using the prophecy updates kind of come up, but it's one of our channels on our YouTube page that, uh, and, and um, they're up, they're posted. You can watch them live. Uh, I've got one this week, Friday night, uh, seven o'clock live uh, on YouTube. Uh, and then that'll be posted uh, just a few hours after that for anybody who wants to watch afterward. But um, last time we, talked a lot about wokeism and uh, some of those issues of what it means to be Christians that are not living out a lie and just just uh, saying things that are not true just to be uh, careful. Uh, we, we talked about some of the things the Bible talks about lawlessness in the last days and mm. covering those kind of topics. That's what we're going to be doing this week as well. Okay, cool. Love it. And I love the fact that God is using you to just speak truth into this generation. So thanks so much, my friend, and uh, keep up the good work.
Thank you. God bless you. All right, buddy. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Basics of Life Conversations with Rob Salvato. Today's episode concludes Season 2 of the Basics of Life Conversations, and you can join us this coming fall as we drop Season 3 with fresh content and more interviews on life, culture, and ministry. If you're looking for more Christ-centered content, you can go to goodlion.io. And if you're encouraged by today's episode or any of the Basics of Life conversations, would you mind leaving us a review, giving us a rating, or sharing with a friend? Otherwise, we will see you next season here on the Basics of Life conversations.